siglo XXII que sale desde el primer corazón torturado da en el blanco da en el blanco es más certero que las balas disparadas sin amor sin odio es más certero que las balas disparadas sin amor sin odio sin amor sin odio sin amor sin odio sin amor sin odio On Tiro 22, a song of the Nicaraguan Revolution, which rejoices in an end to the bloodbath and the crime under the repressive regime led by the last of the Somoza dynasty, Anastasio Somoza. Now some newcomers, uh, Jimmy Carter. I'm not saying Jimmy Carter. I'm saying some newcomers think that human rights is something new. Mr. President, very bluntly, aren't you telling the White House to mind its own business when it comes to human rights. Everyone has a right to express his belief, but I don't think everyone has a right to try to inject them into other people. Despite short-term quibbles with the Carter regime over human rights, the Somoza family ruled Nicaragua for nearly 40 years, supported to the end by the United States. Look at all the trouble that we are having with these guerrillas. And we have a very good organization in the country, mm. in the government, in the party, and in the National Guard. Now, if I were to leave this to a group that is not as organized as we are, you can imagine what a chaos it would be in Nicaragua. The guerrillas were the Sandinistas, founded in 1974, and named after the almost legendary General Sandino, who died in the 30s in the struggle against the American presence in Nicaragua. When the Americans left Nicaragua in 1932, they installed a member of the Somoza family as head of the American-sponsored National Guard, which they later developed as an instrument to control the political and economic life of the country. Since then, the Somozas haven't looked back, an inexorable rise to the point, for example, that prior to the 1979 revolution, they owned 75% of the arable land. My family has a tradition of tremendous capacity of work. My father was a hard worker and an entrepreneur. When this country had only five kilometers of paved road, land in Nicaragua was very cheap, and my father had the opportunity to buy large tracts of land. From then on, he began working in that land and building uh, industries which uh, provided exports for Nicaragua. And so did my brother, and so did I. Mm. And we are hardworking people. Now, when you multiply the dedication of time, land, and money, and, and with a virgin country like this, you can certainly get a lot of capital gains. Between 1974 and 1979, the Sandinistas made striking advances, initially through the paralysis of the economy by industrial stoppages, to the increasingly frequent and effective guerrilla activity, climaxing in the seizure of the national palaces. Throughout the repressive 70s, Somoza refused to accept his almost universal unpopularity, with the final desertion by the business elite and the United States, worried by domestic pressure over human rights violations. That's perfectly normal. This is a free country. We have had an open society for, for many, many years, and that's no problem. As the fateful year of 1979 neared, Somoza remained defiant. 
We have been informed that the Sandinistas on the Costa Rican border have been preparing to make an attack that uh, might be forthcoming in the future. Might be today or next week. And uh, we are ready for them. Uh, we've taken our measures for such an attack. One Nicaraguan woman, Laura Foley, now living in Ireland, remembers the closing years and the confusion of the Somoza regime. The papers were always mentioning what was happening, and then on the television we could see Somoza always denying it in such a, a convincing way, and all that, that people were always, you know, a kind of doubting. And myself, for example, my my father was in prison for a year uh, when the Somoza's father was killed. But uh, even though he was a year there in prison and he suffered tortures and all that, well, I was too young to to really know about what, what was happening until later on that I really realized it. But at that stage, I remember myself, you know, thinking, well, that's silly, you know, too much idealism altogether because, well, I'd rather be a... Um, here, uh, uh, an alive hero, you know, that, than, a, than a dead coward. About uh, when the Sandinist movement started, all, most of the people didn't think that they could ever, ever do anything. Also, one was always confused because uh, of Somoza talking that they were communists and that they were backed up because of, to, by Fidel Castro and that they were receiving armaments um, from Russia and all that kind of thing, you know. As she says, many Nicaraguans remained unmoved by a revolutionary fervour. However, one event was critical in strengthening public consciousness. Well, it was at the time when Pedro Joaquin Chamorro was killed, really. That was when, I would say, the total population got really aware of everything. Because before, it was mostly students and university students and all those people, well, even though they were youngsters, they were really, they always knew what was happening. But the other part of the people, you know, housewives and all that, they were, they didn't know everyday life. So it was until that time that we really realized. And, and it was because he had been um, against Somoza, he was in prison as well, and he was good for all the people, really, for his own class and for the poor. He was the owner of the opposition newspaper. And uh, he was, uh, afterwards he was found that he was, ki he was killed by the Smoza's uh, son. Since um, the, uh, the death of uh, Pedro Joaquin Chamorro's death really affected all the areas and of life, really, because most of the people really liked him, even though he was a wealthy man, but he was a humanitarian. He had been fighting back Somoza, and I would say he was a real sincere man. And he wasn't fighting for power or anything like that, because he, he, he never upraised himself as a leader, and he could have done so and got millions of people after him. But um, he was really being sincere in that way. Most of the people used to say, well, if Pedro Joaquin Chamorro was killed, 
what can happen to us? Now we, we don't feel secure anymore because for us, really, we thought that he was an untouchable man at the same time because nobody would dread to kill him being so known and and uh, a public person as he was, you know? So after that, most of the people felt, comple felt completely uncertain and that one could say, well, I would, could be killed and nobody would even know what had happened and nobody even, even would even try to inquire it. As the weeks went by in 1979, the revolution gathered momentum. The Sandinistas now moving from the mountains to take control of the major cities, one after another. Gun battles between the National Guard and the Sandinistas became a daily fact of life as the insurgents set their sights on the final assault on the capital, Managua, in July. The closing dates of the Somoza regimes were really very difficult and there was a complete, I would say, anarchy in the whole place because the, the National Guard was known that it was just been following the Sandinists and in the mountains and all that, and most of them were in the places where they had to be fighting them. The last couple of days of coming to the 19th of July, like, it was complete like a national feast, really. Everybody was a kind of uh, waiting for the adventure and the whole thing of the Somoza going and a new government coming in, that the unknown, you know, people at that time, they, they said jokingly, well, I don't care even if it would be a communist government, you know, coming on, as long as it's something different, we are, because we are fed up with the same thing. The people just was cheering at one another and it was complete feast in the country and like if it was the 31st of December, everybody kissing each other and throwing away you know, doing small parties and all that kind of thing. Sandinista or Sandinista Unity and the new revolution was born under nine commandantes led by Daniel Ortega under them a council of state representing the opposition in other words businessmen and political parties and also representatives from the political organizations the unions and the church half of the council of state is made up of the representatives of the FSLN that's the Ferente Sandinista de Liberación Nacional and mass organizations identified with it but ironically, one of the first critics of the new revolution was the son of the man whose death had acted as a catalyst, Pedro Joaquín Chamorro Jr., editor of La Prensa. We want this revolution uh, to follow the uh, same uh, program that uh, it, it was public, publicized 
all over the world in the uh, beginning in 1979. Uh, we criticized very much the alignment of the revolution towards the Eastern Bloc, and um, we criticized very much the, uh, uh, the clear Marxist-Leninist tendencies that have been uh, seen uh, after the, you know, after some time. Right from the beginning of the revolution, I was uh, myself uh, the first critic of the revolution, perhaps only uh, one month and a half after. But um, uh, the critics were not uh, uh, deep, but simply were because we wanted to get things better and improve. Uh, the paper itself was not very critical, and um, I will say that many of the, uh, some of the journalists, you know, the most important, were pro very much pro-Sandinista. Uh, in 1980, in May, there was a, a strong conflict, internal conflict in La Prensa, uh, which ended when the, the, the union of La Prensa took the installations over. And uh, finally, there was an arrangement whereas they left La Prensa to found the Nuevo Diario, and uh, La Prensa regained its uh, independent uh, line that has always, always been independent from any sort of government. In other words, La Prensa, at one time after the revolution, um, was not only not non-critical, but it was, uh, I think, it has already lost its in independence and was becoming, or in the way of becoming, an official or semi-official uh, spokesman of the government like it is now in the Diario. Uh, La Prensa started to suffer from a lot of harassment from the government uh, that um, from uh, five, five times we've been closed down. Uh, we are now subject to uh, perhaps the most terrible censorship that we've ever seen in the history of Nicaragua. La Prensa was always regarded as being anti-Samosa. For it to become a critic of the revolution represented a major turnabout. Hence the defections that Pedro Joaquin Jamaro mentioned to Nuevo Diario, looked upon along with Barricada as being semi-official organs of the government. But to the reasons for the censorship that Pedro Joaquin alleges that the new regime is operating. I would say because La Prensa have, uh, have uh, managed to get a very strong uh, anti-communist force in Nicaragua going on, the, you know, and they're and uh, La Prensa had followed, ha, ha, was winning actually, the what we call the ideological battle, uh, the ideological fight. Just as, as an example, you know, this didn't close La Prensa, but as, a, as an example uh, of uh, the ideological war, uh, we f we published here in La Prensa, full, you know, in a, in a newspaper, we gave it free the edition of a uh, uh, Animal Farm by Orwell. That's a uh, something that uh, I, I don't think anywhere anywhere in the world that has been done. So we simply publish it and everybody read it. It resembles very much the situation in Nicaragua. I think that the communist system don't, don't have too much creativity. It has to be repeated over and over again. And uh, uh, people really laughed when they read Animal Farm here. Uh, it's something that uh, has an actualidad, you know, actuality in Nicaragua. So. Uh, the Sandinistas were shocked, you know, because uh, the animal farm, by any by a tremendous coincidence, you know, we have nine commanders, and in the animal farm there are nine pigs. Sofia Montenegro is the international editor of Barricada, and she is bitter at the present editorial line of La Prensa. 
play an important role, you know, in the conscience of the masses and is playing a constant, uh, an important role in the opposition to the dictatorship of Somoza. But after the, the revolution, you know, they, they practically, practically kicked out every progressist or revolutionary uh, newsman, editors, and all type of people who was for the revolution but uh, from an independent position and uh, they almost turned it, uh, they gave it end to new actionists which belong to the private enterprise which their, dif their interest differs from that of the, which the our government defends which is the, well they are practically, they became the boys of all the rightist parties in the country and of the latifundist oligarchs and uh, all the people that has been affected by the revolution, mainly the rich. So it's a newspaper of the rich. It's not anymore the newspaper of the people of Nicaragua. Even though they try to profit from their past glory when it was headed by Pedro Joaquin. And the, the, the name renames, but not the, the intentions, not the people who make La Prensa famous and respectable. Yet the son said to me yesterday that uh, despite the fact that uh, they had been told down that their circulation had increased dramatically and he said therefore this signified that the Nicaraguan people did want them to remain and that there was a place for La Prensa in Nicaraguan society. Well there is a place in La Prensa in the Nicaraguan society as long as, as there is pluralism. They are rich and poor here in this country, and of course they represent the rich. Therefore, they is correct. He, they got a place. Meanwhile, the rich remain. And uh, pluralism in our country remains. On the other side, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't know if they have risen so dramatically their 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 editions. But I would say it's read. It's read mainly by us which always want to know what the, what the opposition thinks. And uh, it still has uh, some uh, influence in the certain people that still thinks that La Prensa, by being in the opposition, is saying the truth. But Pedro Joaquin naturally defends his paper and its independence. The Sandinistas are, are led, you know, the Sandinista is a big force in Nicaragua, but not everybody who is Sandinista, who, be, who, who claims to be Sandinista, uh, actually thinks, uh, follows the principles of General Sandino. General Sandino was mainly an anti-imperialist, uh, uh, nationalistic guy who fought, fought against American intervention the same way he would have fought any intervention in Nicaragua. And I think that uh, the Sandinistas are led by Marxist-Leninists who don't care if there is an, a Soviet intervention, which is actually uh, undergoing in some places, you know, perhaps even in Nicaragua. But they, they do care about, you know, you know, about the, you know, the United States and the rhetoric and all that. Of course, that um, we recognize that there are two main imperialistic forces in the world, but the, to the Sandinistas there is only one. Um, that that is part of the big uh, difference, and. Uh, they wouldn't give a damn if the Soviet invade Afghanistan with 100,000 men. 
but the United States sent 15 uh, advisors to El Salvador, you know, they make a big fuss about it. Yo creo en vos, Cristo obrero, luz de luz y verdadero, un ingenito de Dios, que para salvar al mundo, en el vientre humilde y puro de María se encarnó. Creo que fuiste golpeado, con escarneo torturado, en la cruz martirizado, siendo Pilato expresor, el romano imperialista, puñetero y desalmado, que lavándose las manos... You don't hear words like imperialismo and liberación, imperialism and liberation in the Apostles' Creed that many Europeans are used to, but references occur constantly in the hymns and prayers of the Misa Campesina. That's what might be called the People's Mass. The vast majority of Nicaraguans are Catholic, so it's worth considering the central Christian influence in the Sandinista victory and also in the new state. Evidence of this today can be seen in the active participation of three Catholic priests who hold ministerial positions, while a number of other less important roles are held by Catholic church leaders of one kind or another. Uriel Molina is a leading Nicaraguan theologian who frequently appears on the same platform as the nine Nicaraguan commandantes. What is our task? in this structural change we have now. Because, you know, in the past, always Christians try to explain the reality according to their faith. What is new in Nicaragua is the revolution, and that is difficult to understand uh, from a European point of view, because they never had a revolution except the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution, you know. And, and the new aspect in Nicaragua is that the Christian massive partake, part participated in the revolution, you know. So for us, it's interesting to integrate in our discussion, in our reflection, this point that Christians are integrated until the last consequences, you know, in this revolution. Uh, in Latin America, is the continent in which is playing the future of the whole church, of the whole church, I think that. Because in Europe, there is no Christianity. In, in Europe, church is a power. They are rich, but in Latin America, even if, if, if the, the faith is in a, in, a, in a level which is very, very, very need-rich, uh, very below, very, very low level, uh, because uh, we have this uh, religious aspect of the traditional uh, way of expressing them, themselves, you know, but there is an unquestionable fact the whole continent is believer. And the whole continent is, uh, uh, is uh, in effervescence against the power of the imperialism. So these two facts are very interesting. How can we connect? The United States have understood that very well, from Rockefeller until Mr. Reagan, because we have this document, the secret document of Santa Fe, in which Reagan says we must consider with much attention what is go going on in Latin America with the theology of liberation. And we have now the first commentary of a, a, a journalist, Escura, on this, uh, on this uh, position of the administration, Reagan. Because you see, if you continue, if you let the revolution, the Nicaraguan revolution go ahead, in this mixture of Marxism, reality, and Christian inside, you know, revolution in the whole Latin American country is coming in the 20, 
coming years. And so the, imp the, the importance of our revolution is that we are an exhibition, a model for all countries which are more important than Nicaragua for the United States. So strategically, I think this revolution is important for two reasons. Political reason is the is after 20 years that we had a revolution in Cuba, the North Americans thought that nobody would uh, would rise his head, and now we have on this very little country, you know, we have completely overthrown this uh, ashamed dictatorship of Somoza, you know, and that that means that for our people uh, begins a new hope. And for our Christian um, point of view, that means that insurrection conducts to the very strong of resurrection, which is a Christian fact. A number of young activists came to study under Uriel Molino in the 70s. They went on to become activists and leaders in the revolution. He explains the process of discussion and thought by which he related Marxism and Christianity to their reality of life, under a repressive regime. 11 students from the, from the bourgeoisie came here and they spent here two years, from 1971 and 72, here, before the earthquake. And so I began explaining the Bible to these people. And one day we studied this text from Timothy letter. Nothing we brought to the world nothing we are going to bring with us when he died. We must be content, glad to have just food and dress because the very radics of the ill is money. The real root of the evil. Of the evil is money. And they began asking How can you explain that? I had no sociological formation to explain that in the way they wanted. And so I began an intensive study of the, of the Greek text. And I found the word autarkeia. Autarkeia means that we must be content with a standard of life which is adequate to the human being. Not just food and dress, but something which is a dignity of level. Yeah. And so they say, but this is impossible, they said, because at this time it is impossible for everybody in Nicaragua to live in that way, which is the exigence of the Bible. We need to change the structure, they began. And how we can change the structure? Going to the roots of the evils. And the root of the evils are capitalism. And the only way we have to change this reality is adopting the Marxist analysis. I'm making a synthesis now, of course. Because the Marx was the only one who explains how capitalism grew. And the Nicaraguan church now in the new state. In our uh, context now, after the revolution, it's more difficult, you know, because the basis Christian communities has suffered a little change. You know, uh, the, the phenomenon of insurrection is 
so difficult to explain that our organization as a church, as a Christian community, has disappeared after the revolution. Why? Because our Christians are now integrated in the words of the revolution. But certainly the private sector is not comfortably integrated into the revolution. And the Sandinistas say that their problem is to satisfy the basic needs of the great majority of the population, while at the same time maintaining a mixed economy that is principally in private hands. Jaime Bengoachi is vice president of COSEP, an organization representing the private sector. At one time last year, he was jailed by the Sandinistas for acting in what was considered to be a counter-revolutionary fashion. He is cautious, but firm in his criticism. Well, up to now, we have been two ships uh, navigating in the night. Uh, there was a revolution the, uh, that was the, anti the, anti the antithesis of the dictatorship. And we are worried that the structures that are now being pushed at the political level are bound to repeat the same vices of the past. What really worries, at least at worries the private sector, is that we are, uh, the structure that is being developed is not uh, congenial with a democratic society. But uh, what we, uh, we are really worried about is that there is, uh, there is not an attitude to reconstruct the country. Because if you are going to reconstruct something in a civilized manner, I would say that you need to gain the will of the people to reconstruct. And you cannot gain the will of people to reconstruct by harsh laws, by menace, by, by enforcing laws that are not practical, or, inf or trying to enforce laws that are estranged to the psychology of the people. Nicaragua's vice foreign minister, Nora Astorga, rejects the suggestion of hostility to private sector interests. Uh, the COSEP is, uh, has a rep representation in the Council of State. They also, our um, financial organization, give them a lot of. Um, of loans and things like that for the the production, and we we just about I think it was three months ago there are some new incentives for the private enterprise, and they also have ways of communication with that, and many of the of the most important and productive in the in the private sector are working uh, with the revolution and are investing in the country. There are some others that uh, don't think more than politicians, than really enterprise men. So those are the ones that we kind of have small problems, you know, but we think that we are going to uh, keep um, advancing, you know, in our process. Achieving a revolution is one thing, holding on to it is quite another. The threat of an imminent invasion is uppermost in the minds of most Nicaraguans these days. 
The government claims that from the beginning, the US administration has developed a policy of hostility to the emergence of an independent government and has used the turmoil in other Central American countries as a pretext for categorizing the conflict in an East-West context. While the Sandinista government point to the growing support that has been given by the US to counter-revolutionaries both in the US and along the Honduran-Nicaraguan border. Just before Christmas, the American magazine Newsweek published evidence to suggest that the United States' efforts to destabilize the Nicaraguan regime were being intensified. Francisca de Scotto, Nicaraguan ambassador in London. The Newsweek article, Secret War Against Nicaragua, proved beyond all doubt what Nicaragua has constantly been denouncing, that the Reagan administration plan to destabilize Nicaragua does exist, and that it gives total support in terms of economic resources for training and the build-up of criminal terrorist Somoza Guards. Bob Novak is one of the most widely syndicated political columnists in the United States, and he outlines the Reagan administration's view of Nicaragua and of Latin America in general, its own backyard. I uh, dislike the word destabilization because there's a uh, uh, there's presumption that the government that you destabilize is stable in the first place, and that certainly is not the case uh, with the Nicaraguan government. There was a, I was in Nicaragua this last spring, and there's enormous public opposition to it. It is a communist government in everything but name. Uh, now, uh, having objected to the word, the fact is that the CIA has been involved in uh, uh, support of uh, anti-Sandinista uh, guerrilla groups based in Honduras. And I think that is part of what everybody in Central America knows is a, uh, a looming struggle for the future of Central America, whether it's going to go communist or not. And the focal point seems to be on the Nicaraguan-Honduran border. Probably one of the most sensitive aspects of what's been happening in Nicaragua today is the conflict on its border with Honduras, where former supporters of Somoza have been getting shelter since 1979. So clearly a push against Nicaragua is on. Two different things happening. One is that there is a great feeling in Central America on both sides of the border uh, by friends and foes of the Sandinista regime in Nicaragua that there's going to be a conventional war in Central America, whether that's accurate or not. Uh, and the U.S. aid, which is not tremendous, it's a, it's a rather small amount of military aid to the uh, Honduran government compared to the uh, Cuban aid to the Nicaraguan government in military terms. But that military aid, in conventional terms, the Honduran army uh, is attempted to uh, make the not Nicaraguan advantage uh, less uh, pronounced. But there's no question that the Nicaraguan military advantage over Honduras is very strong. Secondly, there is some covert CIA assistance uh, to the uh, anti-Sandinista Nicaraguan guerrilla groups based in Honduras on a clandestine basis. But that is very small in the amount of money going out. In fact, the most of the aid is funneled through, of all people, the Argentines. And there are uh, Argentine military on a clandestine basis in Nicaragua, in, I'm sorry, in Honduras, uh, helping the uh, anti-Sandinista Nicaraguan guerrillas. Francesco de Scotto quotes veteran American Senator William Fulbright of the House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee. 
Nowhere has the ambivalence in the American attitude toward revolution been more apparent and more troublesome than in the relation of the United States with Latin America. In Latin America, as in Asia, the United States, a profoundly, profoundly unrevolutionary nation, is required to make choice between accepting revolution and trying to suppress it. Guided by a reflect bred into them by Fidel Castro, American policymakers have developed a tendency to identify revolution with communism, assuming because they have something to do with each other, as indeed they do, that they are one and the same thing, as indeed they are not. The pervading suspicion of social revolutionary movement on the part of United States policymakers is unfortunate indeed because there is the strong possibility of more explosion in Latin America. And insofar as the United States make itself the enemy of revolutionary movement, communism is enabled to make itself their friend. May I say here once again, as we have said many, many times, hundreds of times before, the Nicaraguan government genuinely desired an understanding with the United States that would make it possible substantially to improve the relation between our two states on the basis of mutual respect, on non-intervention in internal affairs, and above all, on the basis of sovereign equality, independence, and self-determination. The possibilities of conflict are obvious. Precisely how bad is the relationship between the two countries? Bob Novak again. Very poor. Uh, the, uh, uh, there's no question that uh, the, the fate of Nic Nicaragua is the first communist uh, power on the Central American uh, mainland as opposed to the island power of Cuba. And uh, it's, it's very doubtful it's going to remain the only one. I think it either is going to, the Sandinista government is either going to be overthrown or that uh, the, uh, the revolution is going to spread into other parts of Central America. So uh, there's no doubt that the relationship between the United States and Nicaragua is, is extremely poor. Uh, the, the fiction maintained by the Carter administration that this was not a communist government has, uh, has uh, changed in the Reagan administration. Given the intimate relation between the Somozas and whichever administration governed in Washington during 45 years of dictatorship, it was only to have been expected that the Nicaraguans, once liberated, should distance themselves somewhat from the United States. Realistic consideration demanded from the government and the people of Nicaragua to be wary of a government closely identified with the enemy of our people. The historical record speaks for itself. What moves our, our relation with the United States is a political interest. We are not insensitive to the interests of our large and powerful neighbor to the north, but if we are to respect those interests, then we must insist that our own rights be respected. Only this type of qui pro quo can provide the basis of a stable modus vivendi, which will allow for the development of friendly and perhaps even cordial relations. So, some attempt to put the Nicaraguan situation or problem, depending on the way you look at it, into perspective in terms of its consequences for neighboring areas of Central America. Well, I think somebody's going to win the struggle for Central America. Either the Nicaraguan government is going to uh, 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 fall and be overthrown, or uh, it's going to uh, 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 succeed. 
America into its orbit. That, that eventually would result in a normalization. I, I, I can't believe, uh, given the dynamics of the situation, that the, uh, the Nicaraguan government is going to be content uh, to, uh, to maintain itself as a non-revolutionary power which is not trying to export its uh, revolution. Ambassador Francesca Descotto. Many have tried for a variety of reasons to label the Nicaraguan revolution, perhaps looking for some way to dispose of it by calling it a Cuban type, comparing it to models as different as that of the Mexican revolution, the Costa Rican democracy. You know, and it's very difficult to talk about revolution to unrevolutionaries. No, we are not like anybody. We are and I repeat, we are Sandinist. We abolish death penalty. We are the first revolution that abo abolished the death penalty. We are building a society in love and in non-alignment with our fellow citizens of the world. We promote and protect human rights. We lack, yes, we lack the money to outdo the American discrediting campaign. Therefore, we need the solidarity of your people. Francesco Descotto. Nicaraguans find it difficult to believe in the sincerity of the United States government that it does not intend to invade. All over the city of Managua, I saw posters, billboards and banners with the slogan, No Pasarán, which means No Surrender, You Will Not Push Us, or Nuestra Luchamos por 21 años, Defendemos Nuestra Revolución. We have struggled for 21 years, defend the revolution. On one of the highways in Managua, there were several high billboards with bold rays lettering against the stark background with a clear message, if America comes, we will push them out. The Sandinista administration is clearly determined to raise the consciousness and bolster the morale of its population. Internationally, as a non-aligned country, Nicaragua was given a considerable boost at the end of last year, when it became a member of the Security Council at the United Nations. Well, we do have to defend ourselves because we cannot be naive. The United States is always telling us that they are going to to do something against our revolution or, and they do not discard the military option. Nora Astorga. But it's important not to forget, as we've seen, that the Sandinistas face considerable opposition and criticism internally too. And much of their energies are devoted to dealing with the legacy of Somoza and sizable elements who had formerly close associations with him. Few among them would wish the return of Somoza, but some are confused with the direction that the administration is taking. Some simply say that the Sandinistas have reneged on the constitutional aims that were signed in Costa Rica. But alone on the South American mainland, an archetypal banana republic has been transformed and the confidence of the people has been restored. The administration's literacy programme has been internationally lauded, with most of the people now having basic reading and writing skills, and this is really in distinct contrast to its neighbours. A revolution is the replacement of one order by another, an experience that is difficult to explain, as theologian Uriel Molina said, for those in Europe. But it is perhaps an experience that could be understood by the peoples of Guatemala and El Salvador. The name of men like Sandino and Carlos Fonseca were mentioned only in whispers up until the fall of Somoza. Both of them are dead. Somoza, of course, was assassinated in Paraguay in 1980. In erasing his memory, the Nicaraguans celebrate the memory of one of the heroes of the revolution, Carlos Fonseca.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.